COVID and how it affects commercial leases on the next On Air with Myrick O'Connell right now. Welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. Whether you're a landlord or tenant, there's a lot to think about when negotiating a commercial lease. Over the past two years, the pandemic has highlighted the importance of several leasing issues that often do not receive much attention in negotiations. These issues have existed long before anyone had heard the word coronavirus, and they will continue to be relevant when the pandemic is a thing of the past. Hopefully, it will be a thing of the past. On today's podcast, Myrick O'Connell attorney Spencer Holland joins us with some timeless leasing advice. Welcome, Spencer, to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Howard. It's great to join you. Great. So the first question I'd have, Spencer, is can you outline for us the two key stages of the commercial leasing process? Sure. The first stage is uh, what we call the letter of intent stage, and often you'll hear them referred to as LOIs, and the second is the actual process of preparing and revising the lease agreement itself. So at the at the LOI stage, you're really trying to memorialize the major business points for the deal. Oftentimes, parties will negotiate and sign an LOI without getting lawyers involved. They'll work with brokers or if there are no brokers, they might just create some kind of informal summary of the business terms. And the length and formality of an LOI will really depend on the complexity and scale of the deal. So for larger deals, I've seen LOIs that have a higher page count than really simple leases I've received. Whereas for smaller deals, it could be as simple as you know, a dozen bullet points um, that spell out the things like the rent, the duration of the lease, options to extend the term, the permitted use of the premises, things like that. So it's just a way of getting on the same page on the really crucial items before you spend all this time and money going back and forth with the lease agreement itself. Right. The importance of the sequence here is that there are some leasing concepts that really ought to be discussed upfront during the LOI stage before you get to the lease. It's not that a party can't bring them up later in the process of revising the lease document, but you're likely to get pushback if the concept wasn't in the LOI. So most of the things we'll talk about today are, um, you know, these lesser discussed leasing provisions, uh, many of which, if they're in the lease at all, you'll find in the very back of the document. But there are also a couple of leasing topics that really should be discussed at the same time that you're, you know, figuring out things like rent and, uh, you know, the length of the lease term. And so, again, it, it's not that there's, you know, that you'd be in breach of contract for um, trying to introduce one of these topics later, but you're just likely to get a lot of pushback. You know, if you're a tenant and you decide in the third redraft of a lease that, hey, I'd, you know, want two options to renew the term for five years each, the landlord's probably going to tell you, that wasn't in the LOI. No way. Right. Um, so there's certain things that you just really should negotiate up front. Sure. Sure. And and let's get to the meat of it, Spencer. What provisions of a lease are really important for both parties to consider? Yeah. So in the LOI stage, I think that one of the topics that keeps coming up time and time again over the last two years um, has been the importance of flexibility for tenants. So 
this can take a lot of different forms. Um, I just mentioned you know, options to extend the term. That's one example. But you know, kind of more specifically, if a tenant can get you know five options of three years, for example, instead of three options of five years, they usually stand to benefit from that. Especially when you have you know, uncertain market conditions like we've had. You know, how much that can benefit a tenant will depend a little bit on how the rent is structured. So, you know, if you have rent that steadily goes up by some fixed amount or by, you know, an increase in CPI, then usually having more options will always be better. Whereas if your rent during option periods is decided by, you know, fair market value, well, then maybe you actually want to lock in rent for a longer period. But typically having more options is better. And there are a lot of different ways that you can build in flexibility as well, uh, ways that should be discussed as part of the LOI. One is having options to terminate the lease early. Uh, there are no shortage of ways to negotiate and structure these. A tenant could have the right to terminate at one particular time during the term, or that right could begin after a certain point in the lease term. And upon so much prior notice to the landlord, it could involve a termination fee to make it a little more palatable to the landlord. So there are a whole lot of different ways to structure these, but that's another big picture business term um, that the parties should discuss up front. And then, you know, some other examples of tenant flexibility, a tenant may want to push for the option to expand or contract a premises, kind of depending on the context of the lease. And, and again, these are all things that should be discussed up front as part of the letter of intent. Right. Now, from the landlord's perspective, Spencer, what have been the biggest takeaways from the past two years? And so from the landlord's perspective, I think that the biggest takeaway from the last two years has been the importance of you know having a way to actually recover damages that you might incur as a result of a tenant default. So on paper, you can have all of the you know most far-reaching onerous remedies possible under the lease, but if a tenant is insolvent and they're not paying your rent, those remedies aren't going to do much for you. So as part of the letter of intent. If you're a landlord, you want to make sure that the tenant is providing its financials so you can evaluate its creditworthiness. You want to carefully determine what other backstops you might need to ensure payment of the lease obligations. So most leases require security deposit, not all, but most of them. But landlords might also want to consider the tenant providing personal or corporate guarantees. I've been finding recently that parties are increasingly coming up with these middle ground options for guarantees. As a tenant, you know, you never want to sign a personal guarantee because it can be a scary prospect. You know, if you're a landlord, you want to have that additional backstop. And so there are a lot of ways that you can you can kind of find middle ground. Either you could set a cap on the guaranteed amount, the guarantee could burn off over time, the guarantee could end with the surrender of the premises. So there are all kinds of ways that parties can negotiate these things. But again, this would fall into the category of something that should be discussed up front as part of the LOI. So Spencer, there's something called force majeure, a provision in commercial leases. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So a force majeure provision excuses performance of a lease obligation uh, under certain circumstances. Usually it has to do with events like natural disasters, public health emergencies. Sometimes it'll even specifically include a pandemic. And so 
From a landlord's perspective, the most important element of this provision is that it should expressly exclude the tenant's rental obligations. Uh, from a tenant's perspective, you want to make sure that the force majeure provision is reciprocal so that it doesn't just benefit the landlord. It would also benefit the tenant uh, if they have issues with you know, opening um, on time or you know, maintaining the premises due to one of these events. And then the party should consider the scope of events that will excuse performance, how much of an impact these events uh, need to have, and uh, the extent that performance is excused. And in addition to force majeure, there are a lot of other provisions that have taken on greater importance in light of what's been going on, specifically the COVID pandemic the past two years. Can you speak to those, Spencer? Sure. So one of the first ones that comes to mind from a landlord's perspective is an independent covenants provision. So this is a provision that makes it clear that the obligations of the landlord under the lease and the obligations of the tenant under the lease, most importantly, the obligation to pay rent, are independent of each other. So that if the landlord is not able to maintain uh, the building or otherwise perform its obligations as it's supposed to, the tenant isn't entitled to stop paying rent. If you're a tenant, you want to make sure that there are some exceptions to that provision. So you would want it to say, except as otherwise provided in the lease. And then the provision would go on from there. And there are some typical, generally accepted uh, carve-outs. You know, if there is uh, an eminent domain taking or a casualty, usually the tenant will be able to abate rent. But where you have negotiations or what other kinds of interruptions to a tenant might also entitle uh, an abatement of rent. Another key provision from a tenant's perspective is the right to quiet enjoyment. So a tenant should consider making the right to quiet enjoyment expressly not subject to force majeure events. Um, Depending on where the premises is located and the other provisions of the lease, um, the breach of an expansive quiet enjoyment right could provide the tenant with, uh, you know, justification for abating rent depending on, you know, some type of interruption to the landlord's services or a breach of the landlord's obligations under the lease. What are some of the other topics and provisions that folks should be aware of, Spencer? Another topic that uh, has received a lot of scrutiny over the last couple of years are continuous operating requirements. So in some leases, the landlord will want to push for a requirement that the tenant has to operate continuously throughout the term. Usually this is in the context of um, shopping centers where you you want to have busy, active looking um, property. For a tenant, you wanna make sure that there are some carve outs to that obligation so that you have some flexibility to temporarily close, um, whether it's for a short period or for a prolonged period like we had at the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is a point that's frequently negotiated and there are a lot of ways to come up with middle ground options. Sure. From a landlord's perspective, another area of the lease that's you know, received a lot of uh, attention of the last couple of years, the landlord's ability to impose rules and regulations for the building. So when you have these unexpected events that arise, as a landlord, you want to have the ability to adapt 
to them. And so you want to have almost a safety valve in the lease where you retain the right to come up with you know, certain precautions, other building requirements that allow you to effectively you know, run your property. From a tenant's perspective, you want to make sure those rules and regulations don't undermine your ability to operate as you were planning to, and that these rules and regulations aren't used in a of discriminatory fashion just against you and not against, you know, other tenants of the building. Right. So just a couple other areas of the lease that have received a lot of attention, uh, insurance and indemnity provisions. So, you know, the party should carefully review the insurance requirements and and the insurance options with uh, an advisor. Also indemnity provisions. These are provisions in the lease where one party is indemnifying the other if there's some kind of loss or damage that arises from a tenant's perspective. You know, you want to make sure that if the landlord is doing anything on the property that results in some kind of claim against you and that was caused through no fault of yours, that you have the ability to be made whole by the landlord. And from the landlord's perspective, you want to make sure that if something happens within the tenant's lease space that didn't arise, um, you know, from from your conduct, that the, the tenant has to indemnify you as the landlord. So Spencer, what basis other than what is in the lease can excuse a tenant from paying rent? Yeah, so if all else fails from a tenant's perspective, um, you know, the, the Hail Mary option is the common law impossibility defense. So what this is, it's a legal doctrine. It will vary from state to state, but the general idea is that if there's some kind of event that prevents you know, performance under the lease and it's totally unexpected and the party did not bring the hardship on itself and it's done everything it can, maybe that party is excused you know, if it's totally impossible to otherwise perform. It's, it's a very difficult standard to meet and it's something that we saw discussed more towards the beginning of the pandemic where tenants were literally prohibited from operating altogether. But that is kind of the last ditch option. We've been talking with Myrick O'Connell attorney Spencer Holland about commercial leases and COVID. Very timely topic. Spencer, thank you so much for joining us on On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Appreciate it. Thanks, Howard. My pleasure. Sure. I'm Howard Kaplan. Take care and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. (music) 